Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts and stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. And now, here's your host, DJ Bob. An hour away from the top of the Empire State Building. You're about to listen to a candid conversation between DJ Bob Runkle and me, Dave Fox. I like saying my own name, okay? Oh, and by the way, Z100, New York. Typically, I know you get asked, like, how'd you get started, all that stuff, but what are you up to? What are you up to now? What am I up to now? Not much. I'm just doing VO. Um, my decision to leave Z100 was based largely on the fact that I knew I could make better money and have less stress if, uh, if I were to go ahead and do some voice work. Also, I felt like I was kind of out of step with radio uh, in, in New York with our audience. You know, the audience keeps getting younger and younger. And I keep getting older and older. And uh, I felt like it was time. The, the station really needed to have somebody who was a bit younger and a little more hip and could really focus in on the audience better. And, and I, I think that it, uh, my point of view is validated when they chose Stacks to take over the, uh, the creative services job there at Z. Um, he's done a, a remarkable job with the radio station and uh, proud to call him a friend. And uh, I think, I just think the absolute world of him. He's a, he's a really good guy and uh, he's as creative as they come. So he's a nice, he's a nice too. We've spoken to him as well yeah. on several occasions and he did radio imaging is partly knowing pop culture to the best of your ability always and he he follows in your footsteps like he he got that knack too yeah because oh. if you don't you're you're losing your audience as soon as they turn the radio on oh absolutely pop culture is the lifeblood of chr and uh I feel for there are producers out there who don't get that. You know, they're all about the bells and whistles and the explosions and whiz bangs and lasers and everything else. And I'm sorry that, you know, that's, they want the audience, the, they want pop culture. They want to hear about the Kardashians. They want to hear about things that, you know, that maybe you and I are, don't really care about, but that's what they want. And you've got to give them what you want, what they want. Otherwise, you're not going anywhere. It's, it's really interesting you say that because I'm kind of dialed in, but I'm also not dialed in. I know what you mean. Like, I'll, I'll talk to people about something from decades ago, and they'll be like, what? <laughs> so, but at the same time, I sort of know what's going on on Spotify, things like that, because... I sort of want to have a a leg up as far as what's going on. Always. But yeah. it's really not um, that. I mean, it's important, but my conversation in the, the time that I have with my guests here is more conversational. It's more real. It's not as 
looking for the sound bites or looking for the the clickbaity piece that you need. Yeah. And I feel like at least when you were a he, you were combining the two. And Stax does it as well. Yeah, he does it exceedingly well. He's 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 really I don't think they could have found a better guy for the job. I, there, there may be other guys who could do just as well or gals who could do just as well. But, um, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's the top guy. So there are a couple, there are a couple of technical things that I just wanted to, to kind of ask you about before we get into the nuts and bolts of it. So when you were, when you were starting when did you start using Pro Tools and what were you and what was that transition like for you? Well, I was there at the beginning of the digital age. Um, up to that point, I'd been using a two inch MCI machine with 16 tracks that took forever to get up to speed. So you had to be rolling and punching at exactly the right millisecond in order to make it work. So when the opportunity came to start playing digitally, the first thing I did is I got the folks at New England Digital, company that made the Synclavier, to put in um, their digital workstation. But it was mondo expensive. It was, um, as I recall, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million dollars. And the station really couldn't afford it. I mean, we were making money, but not that kind of money. And uh, at least not for that. And everybody kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, well, what's what you're doing is working, so whatever. Then Adam Curry turned me on to a little company called Digidesign, who had two apps. One was called Edit, and one was called, I uh, can't remember what the other one was called, but it was it was the genesis of Pro Tools. Now, Adam introduced me to those uh, because I was producing his syndicated show at the time and he wanted to have it be like super simple for me to do and super simple for him to just give me a digital tape and put it in and go to work on it. Um, but, and that really, that really whetted my appetite uh, after having played with the New England digital system, which, by the way, worked beautifully. It was an excellent system, but for that kind of money, it better be. Um, but Deck and uh, and Edit, those were the two programs from DigiDesign. And uh, I felt like it was kind of Mickey Mouse, kind of little, you know, after playing on the New England digital. So I went out and tried all the others that were around. I tried Cool Edit Pro, thought it was kind of clunky as well. I tried mm-hmm. um, Roland had a Orban had a system that I tried, didn't like that one at all. Uh, I felt like it was too radio centric and not production centric. And then in what in what way? Oh, it like- was designed just like an eight track. Um, Oh, it was, I mean, it was designed all the buttons on the console. You didn't have control of everything the way you do in pro tool. Shall we sort of like stationary? Exactly. Like, you know, you push the play button or you push the record button fast forward. Oh, also um, you had a lot of limitations on what it could do because it just didn't have the memory and didn't access the drive directly the way uh, deck and edit did. So I kept coming back to deck and edit. And once they combined those programs into pro tools, um, it became, there, it was no question in my mind that it was the one to use. Um, and I stuck with pro tools over the years. I tried audition and felt like it was almost as good as pro tools, but it didn't have nearly the number of tools and, and, and possibilities because Pro Tools really was designed for a recording studio. It wasn't designed for radio. Um, it was designed to record music. In fact, um, the last time I was at Sony Studios in New York, uh, 
they had this great, big, huge Yamaha console. And it must have had 132 inputs and uh, several sub buses and just all the things. All you know, and every every track had its own little EQ and sends and receives and all the thing, all the same things I was seeing in Pro Tools. But sitting on top of that huge Yamaha desk was a little laptop computer wow. with Pro Tools, and that's what they were using. Some of the uh, recording artists were slow to adapt to digital. Um, Simon Lebon of, um, I can't think of the name of his band now. Simon Lebon swore up and down he could hear digital, the digital clicking in his voice. I never could, and I didn't know anybody else that could, but he, he refused to record his tracks. That's what I think where you hear something is digital and you make, make all of these things up in your head, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, there are advantages to analog recording. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I firmly believe that. Some, some things need to be recorded analog uh, because there are subtle nuances that digital simply can't do. You're talking ones and zeros versus this endless spectrum that, that analog can do. Um, but most things, especially in radio, digital is the only way to fly. And uh, I've yet to find a program that was designed as well or as thoroughly as Pro Tools. Again, it was not designed for radio. It was designed for music production. And um, I think that was the big, in my mind, that was the big flaw of Audition by Adobe. I like Adobe products. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I use Audition because with my physical limitations, it's so good with like, like altering your keyboard for a keyboard shortcut. Oh yeah. 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 I, yeah. I only, I mean, I only type with one finger. Okay. And I can literally just hit the thing I need in one go. And I bet it's customizable in Pro Tools too, but I feel like there's other steps. Like you need, you need two hands to do some of the oh, keyboards. Oh, absolutely. And, and I totally get that. I totally get that. But to me, Audition was more designed for radio rather than music production. And I like the freedom that I have in Pro Tools. Um, so I, I've stayed away from Audition. I, I've actually got it on the computer that we're speaking on right now, but I never use it. Uh, I use it once and I'll get on it once in a while because when I write columns for rap magazine, the, uh, the website now, um, I very often will talk about a specific way to do something in pro tools. So then I'll go open audition to see if there's a way to do it there. And there usually is, but it's kind of convoluted. It's not as simple as it is in pro tools. And, and, I, there are a lot of people who hear this who are going to say, wait a minute, Pro Tools, simple? Because the biggest complaint about Pro Tools for most uh, production people is that it's the learning curve is too steep. And I'm like, well, so learn it. You know, it, take the time to learn it if you can. And yeah, and and if you can adapt to it, that is absolutely like, do it absolutely. But again, now I like Adobe products. I use uh, After Effects, and I use uh, Premiere. I use their ME application. I, I use a lot of their products, and I think that uh, Audition is a very well built program. It just doesn't offer me all the flexibility that Pro Tools does. And that's why I've stayed with Pro Tools from the very beginning. And like, so when people tell you that they use Audition, are you one to sort of not convert them, but be like, well, maybe you should try Pro Tools? I've done like, that a couple of times, but I find it's generally not necessary. Let me listen to your production. And if if I think you would benefit from Pro Tools, then I might say something, but I am not one to convert people to Pro Tools. I'm really not because 
if it's working for you, by all means, use it. When Saw was one of the big uh, platforms, oh yeah, Kelly 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 was using Saw, and she, when they went out of business, she got in touch with the original software designer, and had him continue to do updates. She paid him to do updates so that she could keep up. But even after that, after a while, she finally gave up on Saw because it was just too much hassle and. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure she's using Pro Tools now. She might be on an audition. But the whole, this whole conversation, though, comes back to how are you using it? Are you using it well? Are you getting good results? If you're getting good results, don't change it. It's one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Don't fix you know? it. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, for sure. You know, audition works really, really well. It's a, like I say, it's a solid program. Nothing wrong with audition. It's for me, it doesn't give me the freedom that I have in Pro Tools. And that can, that's an interesting thing because so many, I don't want to say, so many radio purists are oftentimes like Pro Tools are the way to go or Audition the way to go. It's like, let the person decide what they want. And it's like, you know, don't, you can offer your, but there's no guidebook to this. No, there isn't. And it, it's, I, I'm the same way about uh, computer platforms. Whether you're using the Mac OS or you're using Windows, I don't care. I really don't. Now, I use Mac. And I use Mac primarily because Pro Tools was designed for the Mac. And yes, they have ported it to Windows. And a lot of people use it on Windows and do really, really well with it. So. Who am I going to say? You know, I'm not going to say ah, Mac is better. Mac is easier, I think. Uh, a much lower learning curve than Windows. Absolutely. But at the same time, you can't you you can't give you know you can't give people a hard time for using a platform that works. So why would I? And you know, I'm all about customization. So it so the Mac is built for that. Yes, it is. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, the other argument about platforms, just a little off topic here, but the other argument about platforms is there's so many more software titles for Windows than there are for Mac. Well, yeah, but how many word processors do you need? How many digital workstations do you need? How many, you know, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's 5,000 games on Windows. And if you're a gamer, then Windows might be a better option for you. But most of those games are on Apple as well. And like I say, you only need one word processor. You only need one spreadsheet program. You only need one email client. And uh, browsers, you know, use browsers as you will, but it doesn't matter what, which computer you use. It's whatever works. It's literally whatever works for you. Exactly. Exactly. So and that's me, that whole argument's a non-starter. It's stupid. For those that don't know who you are, would you mind introducing yourself and, you know, what you've done over the past, well, forever? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite forever. Um, I started out in radio in a little town in Utah called Provo. I worked uh, on the college radio station there at BYU. I uh, went across the street to work at a commercial radio station. And within about six months was snapped up by a radio station in Washington, D.C. called WPGC. This was back when it was um, a regular CHR station. Uh, I was there for 10 years. I did every air shift at one point or another on the regular. Um, including mornings. I did mornings for two years, never got beat by the competition. We did really, really well. But the company was expanding and they wanted to sell some of their properties and they ended up selling PGC. I left not long after they did because I wasn't a big fan of the new company that bought them. Um, and I wanted to, uh, to expand my horizons. I went up to Baltimore to get my chops up again because 
the last couple of years at PGC, they had softened it so much. I wouldn't even consider calling myself a, a CHR jock. In the meantime, I was doing production on the side all the way through from back in the PGC days to B104, which is now Z104. Um, and then uh, my program director, who had been my program director briefly at uh, WPGC, uh, hired me in Baltimore at B104. And I wasn't there more than six weeks when he was hired away to Z100 in New York. And the day it was announced that he was moving to New York, I went to his office and I said, dude, you got to take me with you. And he just looked at me and said, just practice saying Z100. So I did. And uh, it took a month or so. But after that, I went to New York. I was in New York uh, first as just doing regular production, doing commercials and such. The occasional promo whenever uh, J.R. Nelson was out. Um, and then J.R. Nelson moved on, went to Minneapolis and uh, someplace else on, on the West Coast. And um, I moved into his chair. And for 30 years, I was at Z100 New York, uh, became the creative services director. Um, after I'd been there for about seven years, I became the voice. Uh, after I'd been there about eight years, I became the main promotional writer. And uh, for the last 20 years of my time there, I was writing, voicing, and producing just about everything. Uh, we added voices over time. Uh, and DeWig came in as a, as a counterpoint to my voice. And then um, Kelly, Kelly, Kelly came in. Uh, there was some politics involved in that, but I didn't mind. I thought it was a great swap. I love Ann DeWig. I love working with her. I'd work with her anywhere, anytime. But uh, Kelly was equally nice. I, I really enjoy working with Kelly, so I had no complaints. We brought in a third voice for a short time. Dave Campbell did it for a while. Oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And uh, when uh, the programming changed towards the end of my time at Z, um, they... Mark Medina started doing some of the third voice stuff. And after a while he came back and he said, no, that's not working. Let's just leave it at you and Kelly. And so, and it stayed that way, even since I left C100 five years ago now, um, it's still uh, Kelly, 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 and Dave Fox doing the lion's share of the voice work. Stax does fill in little bits and pieces here and there. Um, and as well, he should. He's got a great voice. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's really working for them right now. So no complaints. So there's a specific sort of era that I want to talk to you about just because it's so sort of weird. It's kind of not talked about in any, inter in any interviews you do. And it's the the alternative era of you that didn't last pretty long. So tell me a bit about that trend. That, that went on for about, I guess, four, four and a half years. And at the time, Keith Eubanks was the main voice of the radio station. Keith was out of Atlanta and really nice guy. When we started using Keith, we were using his partner in crime. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. I can't think of his name. But uh, Keith became the sole voice of the radio station for some time because the most popular music at that point was the grunge stuff, Pearl Jam and, and you know, the whole nine yards. Um, Paul Armbruster was his partner in crime. They parted ways before Keith passed on, but, uh, and, and Dave is doing extremely well for himself. You can hear his voice to this day. If you call United Airlines, he is the voice of United Airlines. Um, and you hear him on a lot of radio stations, a lot of TV stations as well. So he's done really well for himself, but he has that very laid back kind of, you know, uh, it's not a big deal kind of announce. And, 
that lasted, like I say, four, four and a half, maybe five years. And the programming department changed there at Z100. And that's when they brought in all the crew from Houston. Tom Pullman, Sharon Daster, Paul Cubby Bryant. Uh, they were coming up from KRBE, which was going through its own softening, um, making way for, I think it's Hot 101 now uh, down in Houston. But um, when Tom came in and took over, he said, um, this grunge is just not making it. We're not, you know, we're losing, we're eroding our numbers over time. It was slowly but surely going down because grunge was really popular for about two, three years. And then everybody kind of soured on it because it was. And it was funny because you guys would, because I have recordings of it, and you guys would sprinkle in pop songs, but it was, even the even in the imaging, it was very aggressive. Yes, it was. And what's really kind of funny, uh, it all kind of came to a head. We were doing Jingle Ball one year. I'm not sure it was called Jingle Ball back then, but we were doing a Christmas concert show. And two of the artists were Mariah Carey, who at the time was a huge pop star, and Green Day. And Green Day was the headliner. And oh. the folks who were real grunge fans were like thrilled that Green Day was, you know, headlining the show. But they were all sitting there going, what is this when artists like Mariah Carey were on stage? Um, Courtney Love came and performed with her band Hole uh, in that same show. And they were all about that, but not so much Mariah Carey. And I think that's when the folks in programming at Z realized that there was a real dichotomy. Uh, CHR, by definition, is the most popular music. And both were extremely popular, but their audience had kind of pulled apart and there wasn't much in the way of crossover. It wasn't long after that, that they brought in Tom Pullman and his crew from Houston. And that's when we went back to doing pop. And, um, you know, as much as I, there's a lot of the grunge music that I still like, um, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and all that. And, and I still, a lot of that music I really dig, but, it didn't fit the format anymore. It had, they had strayed off into their own little format, which is okay. Um, and there's still a lot of radio, radio stations that play them, not exclusively. They're still, you know, they're playing rock of all genres and that includes the grunge, but um, it's bands like that just don't make it very well in the pop world. I mean, look at Nickelback. They started out <laughs> as a grunge band and they tried to become a pop band. And, they, and then they just turned into like adult contemporary. Like exactly. For, exactly. For it's, they didn't appeal to either. And that, that goes to one of my main points. Whenever I lecture about branding uh, and marketing, uh, it's like, you cannot be everything to everyone. Pick an audience, make it a very narrow thing. In fact, uh, according to books that I could quote, it's you need to narrow the focus to broaden the appeal. You make it a very specific audience that you want to appeal to. And if, if Stone Temple Pilots doesn't fit in that group, you can't play Stone Temple Pilots. It just doesn't work. We actually did a promo where we said, well, we kind of lost our minds in 93 when we started playing all this grunge. Yeah, but now we're back to playing good old, pop music and they've been that way ever since playing pop music now you know that you get hip-hop in there and you get some uh get some I, rap i found it was really funny that not even four years later pearl jam has a top 40 hit yeah yeah no you're right and you're playing that so it's it's just funny how things work out like that but it's so funny that you talk about the you know, when Tom came in and all the main crew came in, because that was the time that I started listening 
to you regularly. I was a toddler. But because, you know, I couldn't play outside that much as a kid and all that, the radio and pop culture and all that stuff were my friends. So I really gravitated towards what you guys did. Well, excellent. That's good news to a marketer like me. So what were some of your favorite sort of imports from Europe? Like some of the earlier, some of the early pop stuff that would, that came across your desk and the playlist as he, like, what did you really dig? Um, well, this predates the grunge era, but uh, stuff like Nina, uh, 99 Love oh, yeah. Balloons, and um, uh, Right Said Fred, and just fun music. I, I really, I like music to be fun, to be honest. Yeah, you know? I feel like, I feel like the, the pop stuff, when Tom came in, it was either like the boy band stuff from Europe. That was when you had Chumba Wumba and weird stuff like that yeah, too. Yeah, Chumba Wumba was. <laughs> to this day, I still hear, I get knocked down, but I get up again. And I couldn't sing it if my life depended on it. But, you know, I still hear that. And um, what was the other? Midnight Oil, uh, Beds Are Burning. Um, great stuff from down under, a uh, lot of good stuff from the UK, um, um, even what's his name? The guy with the guy that looked like Howdy Doody. I can't think of his name. Um, he was actually a very, he, he was really good at what he did, but it, again, it became so MOR. Yeah. So there were so many people like Lou Bega. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think all in all, I think my favorite music still comes from the States. Um, I'm not hearing a lot of very new groundbreaking stuff for the last several years. There's a few pieces here and there, but um, I think some of the music from the nineties and the early aughts were really, really well done. And yeah, uh, I mean, and, like and there are songs, there are songs that you guys play to see that I still hear the power intro in my head. Well, that's how they were designed. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I just, you know, because, you know, you're trying to get it in the person's head and it worked. So the whole premise of power intros came from a couple of things. One, John Wolfert, the J in jam jingles used to do what he called pop tops. And they, he had his jingle singers come in and they would do the intro of a song. Uh, the one that sticks out in my head is we built this city on rock and roll by starship. Oh yeah. They, I remember hearing this. Yeah. They did that for Z and uh, Tom and I were sitting in the office one day talking about how can we better image the radio station. And uh, I, I talked a little bit about pop tops. I said, the problem is they're really expensive. Uh, John would charge up, you know, upwards of $5,000 to do one. And we can't afford that for one song. Hello. Um, and not that I blame him, you know, it's like, he's got to cover his costs too. Um, the other side of it is WABC back in the 60s and 70s used to have their jingles produced right into the actual song where they would have the singers sing in the same key and they would cut them up and have them so that the syncopation was right and fit the beginning of the song. And then WABC music radio would have two versions in the studio. Everything was on cartridge at this point, tape cartridges. Every And one version is with the sing and one was without. But the nice thing about the one with 
The jock didn't have to say anything. They could signal right there. Exactly. It was all done. And so they would go from one song into a song that had this jingle built into it. And they didn't have to play a song, play a jingle, then play a song. They were just like bing bong and it was done. And it was in perfect key and harmony and it really fit. So Tom and I were saying, how can we do that kind of thing? And that's how we came up with the power intro. Uh, and now everybody in the world does them and which is kind of cool, but you know, uh, some people do them better than others. There's a company in the Netherlands that does power intros that are really, really good. You can hear some of them on most requested live worldwide with Romeo, a show that I do some production and voice and video for, and they sing, um, you know, most requested live most, you know, uh, with Romeo all to this, all to the beginning of the song and they tie it all together. And, and it goes back to that original jingle singer singing the intro of a song. Um, I've got a friend in Romania who has a station called dream FM and he does power intros that are just killer, really, really good. Then I hear others here in the States that are mostly good, but some of them are really pretty gosh awful. Do you remember the first one that do you remember the first one that you're like, okay, we've got this, like this is something good. Like, do you remember, I know it's been a long time, but do you remember the first couple that you tried? No, to be honest, I don't. I mean, I was doing four and five of them every week. So um, trying to think what the era was that would be in the mid 90s to late 90s and early aughts. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did one to Chumbawamba. I couldn't tell you what it sounded like, but, you know, I know we did one. Oh, I know one. Um, we did a mix between the police, every breath you take, and Puff Daddy's uh, song where he lived. Oh, I'll be missing. Yeah. yeah. I'll be watching you. That's it. I'll be watching you. And it was a tough mix because Puff uh, sped it up a little bit. So I had to slow him down a little bit and speed up the police a little bit to make it all work. But then we did a power intro for it. And it was killer. It sounded so good. Uh, and that one stayed on the air for a long time. Um, of course, the Puff Daddy version was very, very popular. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that was, it wasn't the first, but it was, it was early on in, in that era. Because now you were able to do stuff like that with with digital pro tools. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. And that was the other thing. Uh, first with John Wolfert done at Jam Production, and then with the guys up at uh, Real Audio, Real World, up in Seattle. Uh, Steve would uh, set it up so that they would send me the work parts from the jingle sings. Uh, in different tempos and different keys. And I was able to use a lot of those in the power intros and they sounded amazing. Uh, real world, real world and jam. Both of them had just amazing singers. And I suspect that a couple of them sang for both at one point or another, um, who really could do the pop thing and sound like other artists. I know they had one that could do a drop dead impression of Mariah Carey. And of course that's back when she was really popular. Um, but real world would send me those parts as did John done it at, uh, at jam productions. And I was able to use a lot of those and basically make all sung power intros, which were kind of cool and sounded unique um, in, in our mix, because, you know, a lot of our power intros had longer intros. I would cut the intros down to where it was just long enough for what we wanted to do 
with our ID. Um, and then it would go into the main part of the song, but it was, um, it was a fun time and it was, you know, talk about creativity. Wow. Yeah. It's definitely one of my, it's one of my, it's one of the things that made me want to do what I do, you know, despite all the limitations that I face, like somebody like me can, might not have the perfect radio voice, but who cares about that? Yeah, who does? Certainly not me. So how do you feel about that? Like the diversity in voiceover or people with disabilities in voiceover, do you feel like that still has progress? Like, I'm sure. I'm sure that's not something you think about every day, but like, no, you're right. I've been, I've, I've been told, oh, you don't have a radio voice because this, that, and this, and it's like, but I think like a programmer, you know. Yeah. So, what is a radio voice? If it's someone, if it's a voice that people can relate to, then by all means, it is a radio voice. Uh, Next month, I'm going to be doing um, a video for rapmag.com about voiceover. And one of, the, one of the topics I've already outlined is a lot of people who are in radio, who are doing production, think they don't have a voice for radio because they hear all these power voices coming on, you know, from, from <laughs> me or Jeff Berlin or, you know, some of the other big voices out there right now. And they think, you know, I don't sound like that. Well, so what? Are you relatable? If you can sound relatable, then yes, you are a voice. You can be a voice. Um, the big argument about diversity in, in voiceover for years was about males versus females. If you'd look at the roster of any of the major talent agencies like Buckman or uh, Atlas or CPD&E, they would have five to six times as many male voices as they did female voices. There just weren't very many female voices. And I think a lot of that, not certainly not all of it. I think a lot of that was because I think a lot of women felt um, like I was talking about today, just a moment ago, you know, they felt like, well, I don't really have a radio voice because they were always thinking this voice of God kind of thing. Um, that's not what makes a good radio voice. What makes a good radio voice is, is it relatable? Is it something you can, if you sound like somebody's neighbor, you've got a good radio voice. If you sound like somebody that you know, a relative, you know, it doesn't have to be the big ballsy basso profundo that, you know, that it was in years gone by. You didn't have to be Ernie Anderson or Don LaFontaine. Um, now it's more, uh, it's more about just relatability. If you can speak emotionally, if you can speak with clarity, you can do voiceover. It, it's, not, it's not impossible. Now, I think someone in your situation is going to be facing an uphill battle. Yeah. I, I don't think... It's impossible. I just think it's difficult. Um, but if you look at the rosters, going back to my previous point, if you look at the rosters now at these big uh, agency houses, the number of women who have gotten into the voice business has grown substantially. And it's a lot of that thanks to people like Randy Thomas and, and Kelly, 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 and, 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 and you know, some really awesome voice talent who are just relatable. They sound like somebody you would know and trust. Trust is a very key part um, to being a, a great voiceover. Uh, it's also like the, the problem that I face is that oftentimes, even when I'm doing this podcast, I don't want, I don't want to make this too personal, but we're just hanging out. We're talking. Um, is that when people 
hear hear that I have a disability, they're like, oh, it's it's so good that he's doing this. He's like, why? Isn't it great that you're doing what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, they they put this billboard around it. Yes. And that's kind of frustrating. That's why that's messed up, to be honest. Yeah. And it's like, do you get up out of bed too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's literally the same thing. Yeah. And what I when you know I've been doing this podcast for eleven years and not not until recently, I would care the last year and a half, did I start talking about my disability more because I felt like it could create a dialogue and create a conversation with the person on the other end. And if I could change somebody's perspective just a little bit, then who who cares what what the mold is? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um and I and I applaud you. I, I think it's I think it's great that you do this. Uh, when you asked me to do this podcast, I said absolutely without hesitation. Um, because honestly, it's to me, I know you're a big fan of radio. I know you're a big fan of Z100. And uh, why wouldn't I want to talk with you? It's like, of course, absolutely. Sure. Now that, now that we're on that note about Z, can I just ask you some like, quick fire memory questions that you, that might <laughs> that might jog your memory a little bit i hope so because I'll, honestly my memory is shot on a lot of things maybe i was having too much fun back then well that doesn't mean you're not having a lot of fun now oh i'm having a blast but that's that's another story separate separate podcast yes <laughs> so Who's your favorite? Who was your favorite jock? That kind of not like one of the mainstays, but is there anybody the buddy that you just miss? Yes, uh, there are a couple. I miss listening to Cubby. Me too. <laughs> Cubby, to my mind, was funny without meaning to be funny. Um, without trying to be funny, I should say, you know, um, Cubby was Paul Cubby Bryant, still one of my favorite all-time jocks. Um, I miss, um, oh gosh, there were so many, so many good ones, you know? Well, we can't, we can't go down this list without talking about Kid Kelly. Oh, Kid Kelly. Kid Kelly. Uh, yeah. When Kid went to Sirius XM as a programmer, I was like, oh no. I, I know he's still doing the back to the 80s, back to the 90s stuff. Um, but I I don't get them here in, in Austin. And I I know I could probably find them online someplace. But he was always funny and fun. And um, he made fun of people without making them feel self-conscious because he would turn around and make fun of himself in the, yes. in the very next breath. Um, I, I think the world of kid Kelly. Um, yeah. I would love to talk to him. Yeah. I don't know any way to He's, get us in touch, but that would be great. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the others that were. A couple of my favorites. Maybe I'll help. Um, Lisa Taylor was good for midday for like a long time. I have been in love with Lisa Taylor forever. Now, last time we spoke, which was probably, I don't know, five, six months ago, she was on the loose. She had just been cut loose from Wolf down in uh, Dallas. And um, she was kind of looking to build up her VO career again because she'd been doing on air for such a long time. She'd kind of gotten away from doing BO, but I love her voice. She has that smoky, sexy, without trying to sound sexy. She's got that 
uh, Angie Harmon sound, you know, that kind of raspiness in her voice that just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, and as a person, I absolutely adore her. I loved being just down the hall from her every day. The two of us at one point or another during the day would make it a point to go and talk to the other person, even if it's just for a couple of minutes about whatever was going on in her life, uh, uh, her son, Nico, or her situation with, with uh, you know, when she, she started in New York on doing country on why, and then came to Z doing middays and she killed it at Z just killed it. She was yeah. so good. Um, then she went to Nashville for a time and ended up in Dallas. And I, to my mind, just an amazing jock and person. Uh, like I say, I've been in love with her for forever. Um, yeah, if I could claim a second wife, that would be Lisa. One of my favorites because, and you know, you had some shoes to fill after she left with Shelly Wade and that was perfect. Shelly was, is, you know, she's, she's working out in San Diego. Um, Shelly had another very sexy voice. She was so bubbly and so bright and so happy, even when she was miserable. She can't, I remember her coming in one time. She was sick as, as Mr. Leonard would say, sick as a dog. She would, uh, she would, she went on the air absolutely miserable in the studio until it was almost time for her break. She put on her headphones, take a few deep breaths and shake herself a little bit. And then she'd open the mic and magic would come out. Absolute magic would come out. It was still bright and bubbly. Didn't matter that she felt bad. She knew she was there for her audience and they knew she was there for them. Um, an amazing DJ. And uh, I, to this day, I, I, one of my favorite DJs of all time, Shelly Wade, loved her. And you know, one of, one of my dearest friends in the industry is uh, Joe Rigotti. Love Joe. Joey's fantastic. Joey's a good guy. Well. Really good guy. We never had a chance to work together very much, but I, you know, again, um, I, I do know him, um, you know, casually. We've met at a couple of get togethers and, and uh, we've talked over the years. I've done, I've actually done some work with him, but um, it was just incidental kind of work. Uh, good guy, really, really good guy. Um, of course, when he was at Z, uh, I got to know him a bit when he went out to LA, was it LA or San Diego? I can't remember. San Diego. Yeah. yeah San, San Diego. Diego. Um, I recommended him to, uh, to do production cause he's an awesome producer. I don't think a lot of yeah. people know that, um, because you know, he's, he's a really good DJ, but, um, uh, other than, you know, seeing him in the hallway at Z and everything like that, he and I didn't really work together that much, but as a human being, I cannot speak highly enough of him. So we're just about to wrap up here, but this is a loaded question. So get ready in one sentence. What did your time at Z100 mean to you? I can sing that song in one note. Everything. It was, without a doubt, the defining time in my life in radio. Um, I got to meet so many people and get to know so many people. One of my favorite stories Steven Tyler came to the radio station several times to promote different records and stuff. One time he came in and we were doing a thing at that point where we would subtract the vocals from a popular record. And then we'd have the artist re-sing the vocal oh, I love for the morning show. And he came in and did zoo gets kind of crazy instead of dude looks kind of dude looks like a lady. Yeah. And we sang it. He, he sang it a few times and um, it was, it was a lot of fun and, and we were kidding around a lot. He also came in and did the um, love thing at night with the doctor. I can't remember her name. 
but you know, and so we kind of got to know each other. I can't, he, I can't claim a great friendship with him because I didn't know him that well, but I was sitting backstage at the iHeartRadio Music Festival in Las Vegas. Um, I think it was the first year they had it. And I was sitting there saying, I can't wait to see Steven Tyler. I haven't seen him in a long time. And the producer of the show who was sitting right next to me saying, you know, Steven Tyler. And I said, yeah, I said, God, get out of here right then. Almost like it was on cue all the way from across backstage, which was a huge area. This is before the audience ever got there. I heard Fox and I turned around and it's Steven Tyler sauntering over to the table. How you been, man? I haven't seen you in forever, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, he had to go off and do whatever they do before the concert. And the producer turned to me and he says, I take everything back. You're an amazing man, Dave. <laughs> so, like I, like I say, it's one of my favorite moments in my life, only because it was validated right then, right there. It was amazing. Um, getting to know a lot of artists like Elton John and, and uh, Paul McCartney and uh, John Bon Jovi and just a lot of really big name artists just when they would come in to do liners and stuff. Cause they usually did that in my studio. Um, it was, it was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and you know, some great ones, some not so great ones. Sting was awesome. Uh, Phil Collins was awesome. Um, and a lot of the lesser-known stars, Eagle Eye Cherry, what a great guy. What an absolute um, yeah. prince of a guy. Um, you know, just really, really nice people. And, uh, in fact, my, a lot of people say the bigger they are, the bigger the jerk they can be. That's true. They can be. But the bigger they are, the nicer they are. When you get to that level, you don't get to be that big unless you are nice to the people around you. Jay-Z came in one time to introduce a new artist at, at Z. And you know how a lot of artists will show up at a radio station and they'll have a posse of 20 people. Like an entourage. Yeah. yeah. He walks in all by himself 10 minutes before the artist he wants to introduce gets there. He comes in and he just comes in to chat. Hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I got a new artist that I'm promoting on my label and blah, blah, blah. Just the most down-to-earth guy ever. Love Jay-Z. Justin Timberlake, same way. Love Justin's an, an absolute prince among men. So, you know, the bigger the star, the nicer they are. And and that's such a good thing because the the stars that record liners and do all that stuff in your studio could influence some major changes in uh, the radio station's programming. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Oh, absolutely. With Ja, with ja Rule. Yeah. You want to tell, tell that story? Like, ja like, Rule, funny guy. Um, we had banned jingles for a while during the grunge era, particularly because jingles and grunge music just don't go together. Yeah. And, um, but we were still playing Ja Rule. And of course, Ja Rule was huge at the time. He, he was doing collab, collabos with, with uh, just about any artist that came along. And, and he was just, he was an amazing guy. Again, a really nice guy. And like I say, we had banned jingles. He came in and did liners for us after the thing. And, I, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm quitting because he came in that night to announce that he was getting out of the music business. And we said, well, look, just in case, just in case you decide to come back, can we have some liners? And he said, sure, why not? Again, nice guy. And he's going along and say, hey, this is Ja Rule and something about the phrase that pays or something. I forget what it was. And then he said, on Z100, the next morning, wow. I took that liner that he had recorded into Tom Pullman. And I said, dude, that's our signature jingle. We haven't played jingles in four years. 
he said, I think we need to bring jingles back. And that was the day that we started looking for a jingle company. And uh, we ended up with Real World and haven't looked back. I'm so glad that you guys did because it's like, that shows you that that Sonic logo has an imprint on people. Like, the same with from the top of the Empire State Building. Of course, you didn't come up with that phrase, but that top of our. Oh, no, like, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, Ernie Anderson did it. Uh, Bobby Ocean did it for us once. Uh, four or five different people did it. And they were doing over it at Hot, the same thing back when Hot was down at the different frequency. Um, and, you know, it was like, it was just a cool thing to say. But when Hot stopped using it, they we went full tilt boogie. And by then I was the announcer. So I started doing from the top of the Empire State Building. And they are still using it today. Which it's like when I explain to people what I do for a living, I say, you ever been in New York? And they say, yeah. So you ever listen to Z100? And they go, well, I think so, yeah. And I say, how about from the top of the Empire State? And they go, oh, my God, you're that guy. Yeah, that's me. That's, that's, the, that's the point I'm trying to make. Like When I was trying to tell people that I was chatting with you today, I sent them a little clip, and they're like, oh. Oh. I get it. Yeah, everybody gets it. It's not because I'm such a great guy. It's just because no, but it's, I'm the guy it's, that did that. It, it's embedded. It, it's embedded in the fabric of the station almost. 40 years later. Yeah, absolutely. And so just to wrap this up, I ask this of every guest, but I just want to know your stamp on it because it's a different perspective. What does disability inclusion mean to you specifically in radio and production and things like that? Well, production, I don't think there should be any separation. I think everybody can do production. If you can hear, you're in. If you can think, you're in. You know, and that's the way it should be. Everyone should be included. Voiceover, we talked earlier about how, you know, it's going to be a steep climb for you, but it's it's not something you can't do. I think I would like to see more inclusiveness when it comes to VO. Um, it's funny. I, I have people in the VO business who is like, dude, you got to stop telling people that anybody can be a VO. And I say, well, they can, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not like it's difficult work. If you can express yourself, if you can carry a thought, if you can sound relatable and sound trustworthy, that's a very key thing. You've got to sound like someone, that people would take advice from. Um, absolutely, anybody can do it. Now, the fact of the matter is, there's probably uh, three dozen, maybe four people in the country doing the absolute gross lion's share of the voice work. And that's okay. But there's always room for more. Always. And there should be. And, you know, it, it, it means so much that you're here with us today just because you, you know, you, you shaped my childhood pretty much, just listening every day. And oh, now that's just, frightening me. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like I tell people, I'm, I'm good, I'm healthy, I'm upright, I'm above ground. I'm maybe 30 years past best use date, but I'm still here and uh, still going strong, still doing a lot. And of we're glad. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I just, uh, I'm up for the Benstown 50 again this year. And uh, I'm doing a lot of video work for a lot of radio stations all over the country, all over the world. And, um, you know, that means a lot to me. 
Um, I do a lot of international work radio wise on English speaking stations, but you know, I'm on in Beirut. I'm on in uh, Sri Lanka. I'm on in Cork, Ireland. I'm on in Sydney, Australia. So yeah, I'm, I'm busy. So where can people find you? Where can people get in touch? To get in touch with me? Yeah. Anyone can get in touch with me at Dave at Dave Fox, D-A-V-E-F-O-X-X.com. Well, this has been wonderful. And just before we go, sometimes I like to throw this out, depending on the conversation. Do you have a question for me? Because we've been talking so much about creativity. Do you have any question for me that you're curious to know? Not really. Um, I've learned a lot about you in this conversation. Um, to me, you sound like a real radio person. It, radio is something that uh, you eat, drink, and breathe. You, you probably even sleep it. So, I mean, literally, like when I was, when I was born, you know, they had my, my, you know, my, my heart numbers weren't good and all that stuff. But when, when they put the radio by my isolate, like all the numbers were like in tip top shape. So radio is literally in my blood. There you go. And so I, you know, I would like to, I, I would like to think of a question, but it would just be made up. Uh, I know a lot about you just from the questions you've asked. And, and, and it tells me that you are a bona fide radio junkie, just like me. And I'm hoping that you and I, you and I could keep in touch and, you know, swap stories and other times. They have been great. Absolutely. Anytime. And if you want me back on the podcast, just say the word and uh, you got it. keep in touch via email and uh, we'll definitely, we'll keep it up. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Bob. The DJ Bob show, pop culture, past and present. <laughs>